This podcast is brought to you by Racing New South Wales, Sky Racing and Ingress. When the championships got underway on April the 4th, nobody was convinced they'd still be going two weeks later. Thanks to the efficiency of the Racing New South Wales biosecurity protocols and the willingness of participants to do the right thing, the great three-day carnival was an outstanding success. Apart from the spine-tingling thunder of hooves and the reverberation of the public address system, there was eerie silence at the most hallowed of Sydney's racetracks. But to those who had a connection to the 10 Group 1 winners, the sense of occasion was just as exhausting and the thrill just as electric as they would have been in front of 20,000 screaming fans. Best story, the fairy tale win of the cantankerous Natoya in the Doncaster for Wendy Roach and James Innes Jr. What a win by the veteran Etta James as she became the fifth mayor to win the Sydney Cup in 30 years. King's Legacy's Group 1 double vindicated his massive purchase price and Quick Thinker gave yet another Kiwi a win in the Australian Derby. Nature Strip's demolition job on the opposition in the TJ Smith was a real buzz while Colette proved to be the dominant filly in the Oaks. A Dave gave young jockey Tom Marquand another Group 1 in his adopted country by scoring brilliantly in the Queen Elizabeth. Conda Patiro continued on her Group 1 journey in the Coolmore legacy, while Tofane spoiled Pirata's bid to go out on a winning note in the all-aged. Great horses, great horsemen made the 2020 championships very special in these trying times. Welcome to segment two with former successful jockey, and one of Singapore's leading trainers for many years now, Stephen Burridge. You had a buster at Tarang one day, which left you with a knee injury, and you kept putting the surgery off because you wanted to ride a horse called Ang Pao for a trainer called Don Shannon. So Ang Pao is finally in a suitable race at Mornington, and you literally hobbled onto the race course to ride him. Yeah, so it was probably about 10 days after the, the fall I had at Tarang. A horse landed right across my knee, and he actually really um, mucked my knee right up. You know, I've, I've had three operations since, I think. But, um, yeah, I got home, and I think I fainted when I got home. A man put me – I went home with him from the races. He, he took me from the hospital, and I got out the car and got home, and, and I think I just collapsed in the shower. And, um, mm. anyway, we – we were able to get back and I was able to get to a doctor and he cleared me to ride because I had this horse coming up, as you say, Ang Pao. And um, I walked into, I think it was in about race three or four, and I walked into the Mornington race course and, um, well, I hobbled into the course and hobbled up the stairs and uh, sat right on the corner where you where you weighed out. And the race before, uh, I'd weighed out and I went and stood down where the, um, as soon as that race was over, I hobbled down and, and stood uh, where you know uh, where you get on the horses, and I said to the mm. the guy that was saddling up for Don Shannon, I said, make sure the horse pulls up here at the at the jockey's room entrance, you know. And mm. he said, why? I said, well, I can't get over the other side, you know. So Goodness anyway, me. Um, they did that, and I got on the horse, and I went round, and and duly the horse won. You know, he um, I think he won by three or four lengths, so um, it was very pleasing, but. Um, yeah, I probably shouldn't have been back at that stage. I should have got the knee operated on uh, there and you know before that. And um, but I didn't. I just wanted to keep riding because you didn't have really didn't have a lot of good rides coming up 
and what you know what good rides you did have, you mm. you wanted to ride. So um, yeah, I rode him, one on him, but um, mm. I've had a lot of trouble with the knee since. Mm. It's, it has required a total of three reconstructions, hasn't it, over the years? Yeah, 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 and probably that's what last. Um, I finished riding track work here in Singapore about two years ago, and that was the problem there. I I heard mm. it again. And, uh, yep. My wife said to me at the time, you know, look, you better, you better, you know, give the riding track work a, a miss because if you get hurt again or get, you know, that, that badly hurt, I won't, you know, we need you here training mm. horses, not riding the track work, you know. So mm. that's that's actually why I gave up riding track work, which I used to love. Well, after the the knee problem, the initial knee problem, you were suddenly aware that you needed a change, and that change materialised when you got an offer to become a club jockey in Mauritius, which had become a haven for Australian jockeys. What is it about that place, Steve? Why have so many Aussie jockeys flocked to that little dot in the Indian Ocean? Yeah, no, it's... um. It's a lovely spot, you know, and they only race there once a week. And uh, uh, Alan McLean, who was a, a you know a very good rider back in the days uh, when I was riding, then he he used to go go over to, to uh, Mauritius year after year, and um, I was quite friendly with him. He was getting on a bit, and he said he couldn't go back anymore. And he said, "Look, would you be interested in going over there? I can get in. I've got quite a few connections there." And he said, "I think I can get you a good job there." So. Um, as I say, I was always battling here, and and I just thought, well, might be worthwhile getting away and having a, giving it a bit of a try. So um, yeah, I went over there, and I got tied up with one of Alan's trainers, and um, uh, I got on a, a you know a very good horse called Laldare, which mm. had been champion horse the previous year, and um, I was able to win on him the second meeting. I think he carried about nine stone six or nine stone eight back in those days, you know, which was a hell of a lot of weight. Mm. Well, it turned out to be a sweet and sour experience. You won your share of races, but the stewards were displeased with one of your unplaced rides one day, and you copped nine months on a charge of giving one an easy run. That was a nice kick in the teeth. Yeah, it actually wasn't nine. That sort of sounds a bit... Bit too bad. I, I actually got six months six. gone, but yep. that was bad, yeah, bad enough for me, you know. And yeah. Um, yeah, a bit of a shock to the system actually, because um, I know we always plead plead uh, not guilty, and I, I was not guilty of it. But anyway, I copped it, and you uh, got the marching orders to go back home. So um, yeah, I came back home, but in doing so, I but the knee was sort of still giving me troubles. Uh, so I decided to have a, a major operation on it, uh, which mm. put me up for about five months. So mm. in getting six months, I, I spent five months, you know, getting over the knee injury. So um, mm. it was only about a month to go and I had that to get fit to get back to race riding. Mm. Well, when you got up and going again, you linked up with Terry Courtney, who put you on a very smart sprinter called Mighty Avalanche. He won 12 races all up. You rode him in eight of them, and he won the Oakley Plate. Not many Oakley Plate winners come from last, Steve, but he did. Yeah, I, I, I met Terry. I rode for his father when I was an apprentice a good bit, actually, and um, through that I, I met Terry was sort of his foreman at the time and then become a trainer, and 
we always were quite good friends. And um, when I came back from Mauritius and got going, he asked me if I'd be interested in going over there to Caulfield and ride for him. So I went over and we had a great, great success. And um, we're still very good friends now. And um, yeah, he, he put me on Mighty Avalanche. And yeah, he was a very good horse to me. You know, he was, wouldn't say he was a, a champion, which he wasn't, but he was a very handy horse and, you know, went, won numerous races in town and mm. I was very happy to get on him. Macau, you got an opportunity to ride in Macau as a club jockey. You thought you'd go for one season. You stayed for six years, in which time you rode 300 winners. You had a good time there. Yeah, it was very good to me, Macau. I, um, I, I, I sort of, it was a, I got there in 1989 when, when they, the racing started mm. and uh, we raced on a sand track then. Um, after one year we got onto the grass, but I was, some of the pictures you, you saw that we, we had there, you know, the, the, what we had to do to get to the races or even the ride and track work, you know, was uh, was very testing. And um, look, it was great experience, met a lot of nice people there. A lot of nice trainers, you know, um, some very good jockeys were riding there at the time. Jeff Allendorf, Ricky Peach, Simon Jones. Mm. And um, there was trainers for actually from all over the world that um, they got there to start off uh, with the training. So, yeah, it was a great experience. And as you say, I never expected to be there, you know, the time I was. I thought one mm. year it would see me out. But um, you have a bit of luck and, um, you know, things sort of worked out okay. I decided to stay a bit longer, you know. Mm. They had a sand track there in the early days and you got on a horse who loved the surface, a horse called Kenny. You won the Macau Cup on him and he was trained by a former Sydney sider, Darby Armstrong. Yes, Darby was, he went over there because he'd been in, uh, he'd been in, in Hong Kong, I think, for a little while before that, but he, he, he was sort of had some Asian owners. So anyway, I teamed up with, with Darby and um, I got on this horse called Kenny and found out later on that um, he, he'd been barred in Australia completely, you know, he was a bit of a, a barrier rogue and a bit of a track work rogue too, so anyway, we got him going and he, he was just a, a very good horse on the, on the sand, he mm. I don't know how many races I won on him but he ended up winning the, the Gold Cup and uh, uh, but you put him on the grass, he couldn't get near them, you know, mm. he just mm. loved the sand and he could run and he he could run really good when you know between a thousand meters and sixteen hundred meters. So he was a very good horse to me and enjoyed my time with him. And Darby was a, a very nice guy. Him and his wife Marg, they um, they stuck with myself and Jeff Allendorf quite a bit and um, uh, to do the riding and uh, enjoyed my time there immensely. And where is Darby Armstrong? Did he come back to Australia? Yeah, Darby came back to. Uh, Queensland. He's, he's still living mm. in Queensland. I saw him at the sales there last year. Mm. I went and had dinner with him at the, uh, the casino, actually, Good uh, with yeah. him and his son and wife. And um, yeah, no, they, they're still pottering around. He, he hasn't got any horses now. He's a good age now, Darby, but he's he still um, keeps an eye in. And uh, I get a phone call from him, you know, every now and again to see how I'm going. So mm. it's nice to keep in touch. Next time he rings, give him my best regards, would you, Steve? He was a good bloke, Darby Armstrong. Yeah, very nice guy, very nice guy. You've mentioned Jeff Allendorf a couple of times. Jeff was a very successful jockey there for many years. He's now training, still there, isn't he? Still in Macau. 
Yeah, he is that. I actually spoke to him Friday night because they were in a lockdown too for two or three weeks and um, and he was having a great run before it happened at the lockdown over there just recently. And um, when I rang him on Friday, he, he was telling me that uh, they were starting back racing Friday night and he had three or four runners uh, in at the meeting. So um, I don't know how he got on, but, uh, you yeah, know, Jeff, Jeff's a lovely guy, probably the nicest guys I've met in racing. You know, he's mm. a terrific bloke. He certainly is. You formed an association in Macau with a French trainer called Claude Charlet, who was destined to influence your future. Now, all of a sudden, Claude decides to go to Singapore and invited you to go with him as his co-trainer. You were almost 40 by then, your weight was sneaking up, and you decided it was time. Yeah, I, um, I was sort of... Jeff was riding for, for Claude and I was doing probably the second string, but I, was, I got into buying and selling a few horses with a couple of bloodstock agents from, from Australia um, just to do a bit on the side because uh, it was only racing uh, once a week and twice a week. You you know, you had to sort of fill in your time and I'd, I'd had a, um, quite a good association with Tony Williams. I think he's now head of um, Aquas up in, in uh Queensland mm. and Jeff Gordon who um, who Tony introduced me to and um, we were sort of buying and selling horses uh, to Claude's owners actually and then when Claude decided to to make the move to Singapore that sort of was one of the reasons why I thought well I might as well go back there I'd ridden in Singapore previously before I went to Macau and I thought well I had a few contacts there so I thought well I might as well go over there and and um, with Claude and we can perhaps buy and sell a few horses, um, mm. which we did. And, yeah, it, it sort of all worked out pretty good at the finish. So mm. it was either that or go home and start all over again riding in, in Australia. And I thought, well, at my age to start back up, I just thought I'd, I'd be better off probably, you know, trying to do something else. Well, Charley tired of Singapore after two years and you were lucky enough to gain a position as assistant trainer to another Victorian Mick Kent, and during this time, you got your hands on a pretty good horse called Southerly Wind, which you'd purchased for clients from Australia on the strength of a barrier trial win at Gosford. Yes, um, it was actually Jeff Gordon, the guy I was dealing with. He he saw the horse uh, win a trial, mm. and uh, it, it was quite impressive, and the horse he beat was quite a good ended up being a good horse. Yeah, Pimpala Prince he beat. The, yeah, that's true. Yeah, that's mm. right. And I think they beat the rest of the field by about eight or ten lengths. And mm. um, he rung me up and said to me, look, I think we, we should buy this and you might be able to sell it over there. So we bought the horse and um, I brought the horse over. And uh, do you think I could sell it? I gave it to two or three different trainers <laughs> um, other than uh, the, the guy I was with at the time and uh, couldn't get rid of him because – he was a very unfashionably bred. He was by um, uh, Zanderstar, which is a dancatory, uh, a son of dancatory, and mm. uh, out of. But he was out of a very good mare, a hall pack mare, mm. and they were very good mares. The hall pack for breeding, and they yeah. they all could run. But unfortunately, the dancatory they were a bit crazy at the time, and um, sort of no one wanted him. You know, even though he's a nice type of horse, I couldn't sell him. So I ended up. Um, getting my sister involved, yeah. and um, he ended up being a 
Well, he won his first five races. Um, mm. Simon Jamet, who was leading rider here at the time, um, he, uh, he he won five races straight on him, and then uh, he went on to sort of they they had a race on here called the um, Tiger Classic, Tiger yeah. Beer Classic, three races, the beer, and um, mm. yeah, he won three races. I think uh, Corey Brown came over and won the twelve hundred meter race and mm. went back, and then Brett Treble came over. And rode him, and then he stepped him up to a mile race, and Darren Gauchy came over and won on him. Mm. So he, he ended up being a great horse, and I think we got a hundred thousand dollar bonus for winning the three races, being big because it was a you know a series. So yeah, he ended up he was a great horse to you know mm. to us, and um, I, you know I uh, I really sort of got him well with the horse. He, he was very he had a great character too. Uh, mm. <laughs> there's one thing he used to do every morning. You'd have to work him first, first off of the morning because he used to go out and, and stretch. If you didn't take him out and work him first up, he'd rear up in the box and get <laughs> his legs up over the next door. And yeah, he was a real bugger of a horse. But um, in that way, but once you were on his back, he was he was a lovely horse to, to handle. But um, uh, to handle on the ground, no, he was a bit of a bugger. Mm. I actually remember one day I was picking him out on on the grass. He was having some grass and. He was picking. He next minute he let go and kicked me in the knee, and um, next minute he took off because I I I, he, I just went straight to the ground and he ran about twenty yards away from me or thirty yards away from me and turned around and looked at me and then come back to me and as much mm. to say I got you, pal, you know. But, <laughs> um, yeah, he was a he was a real character of a horse, but look, he ended up being a very good horse to us, and um, I you know I was glad I couldn't sell him at the finish to anybody else, and mm. my sister was. Was the owner. Now, Steve, I'm going to put the pace on here, mate, because I've got a lot of questions yep. to ask you and time's on the wing. A new chapter unfolded in 1998 when Gerald Ryan, who was in Malaysia at the time, recommended you to Kitson Leong, who was training a lot of horses for Ricky Tai, probably the most influential owner up there at the time. Ricky Tai was one of many businessmen impacted by the SARS virus and sadly, he was forced to sell all of his horses and some of his assets. You garnered the support of a few friends, and you bought up some of his horses at a very discounted rate. Those horses were placed in the care of a trainer called S.B. Tan, with whom you worked as an assistant trainer, and one of them was Ballistic, and he was very good for you. He won the Penang Gold Cup. I think it was worth a million local dollars at the time. Then came a phone call from an old mate, John Sadler, who'd been training in Dubai, but he made the move to Singapore and wanted you to be his assistant. So you came down from Malaysia to start your new job. Yes, I'd probably had enough of Malaysia. I'd been there for six years and, um, you know, it was getting pretty tough and I couldn't get a licence of, of my own up there for just reasons that the MRA wouldn't give it to me and, so I came back to work for John and I said to my wife at the time, Julie, look, I said, you know, if things don't work out, we'll go back home. But um, uh, John started up and everything went good for a month. I yeah. got a work permit and I was able to start working. And um, about a month after I started working, he came and knocked on the door and said to me, look, you're not going to be happy. But uh, he said, look, I've decided I'm not going to stop here. He oh. said for a few reasons. And um, he said, I'm going back home. He said, I'm sorry to say, but. Anyway, it sort of left me a little bit high and dry, but as yeah. it turned out, it worked out for the better. You know, I um, 
I'd brought 10 horses back down from Malaysia and mm. I was sort of left a bit stranded. But um, after a few months, I was able to uh, get a licence of my own and off we went. And the rest, as they say, is history. Now, Steve, you've mentioned Julie already. We should acknowledge the efforts of this lady who you met when you first arrived in Singapore. Julie's maiden name was Barney Cott. She's of English origin. She was a jockey in her home country and she was apprenticed to Susan Piggott, wife of the legendary Lester. Yes, I met her she, the day after she got here. I, I sort of met her in, um, uh, when I was with Michael Kent. And, um, yeah, and then we followed. She, you know, we, we got together and we're living together and we shipped it up to Malaysia. And, you know, we had a great, great run up there. And then we came back and, yeah, she, she was the backbone, you know, of the stable. She does all the feeding and um, she does rides track work and she still rides track work now and mm. rides in trials for us. And um, we've had a great, a great run with the horses, and um, wasn't for her, you know, we'd be probably I'd be struggling. But no, she's great, great help, great help. She didn't ride a winner in England in those early days, but she did have one more quick little crack at race riding. After arriving in Singapore, she decided to head to New Zealand, where there was a spot available with Alan Jones, well-known New Zealand trainer. She got that job and rode a few winners. Yes, yeah, so I was at the time up in Malaysia and she, she wasn't that sort of keen on things up there. So uh, she said, I wouldn't mind having a crack. So she um, worked, she got on the phone and she got a job with Alan Jones and Brett McDonald, James McDonald's father. And um, she went over and was apprenticed to him. And she rode five or six winners over there, but um, she got a bit homesick. I don't know whether it was homesick for me or homesick for the horses or what, but she decided to come back. And um, we came back and um, you know, we got going again with the horses and um, as I say, she's, you know, she's a great girl with the horses and knows what she's doing and she's very into the feeding and that she's very scientific into know, knowing what to feed and what not to feed and what goes through the horse's system and uh, and whatever. And um, so, yeah, we've had a great run, you know, with, with um, training the horses together and, um, you know, uh, everything's been great. What you're saying is, Stephen, she is the backbone of the joint. That's for sure. Yeah, no, <laughs> she is the backbone. That's for sure. Yeah, yeah, no. Hey, mate, I'll bet the old heart was beating when you had to step into the royal presence after winning the QE2 Cup with a very aptly named horse, King and King. Can you remember what Her Majesty said to you? Uh, well... He just said to me, you know, was it, what about, you know, it was lovely to win the race. I said, yes, it was. And then I introduced Julie to her and I said, well, she's from England. So Julie and, and the Queen had a little bit of a conversation there for a bit. And I had my son there at the same time. He'd just come over and was working in Singapore as a bloodstock agent. So it was lovely to have the whole family there, as, you know, to be able to meet them. And um, yeah. Yeah, it was a great honour because that day she wore green and white dress to the races and the horse aptly named King and King, he wore green and white colours, so <laughs> it was just a bit, yeah, a bit of. At the time, I didn't think much of it, but you look back on it and it was um, was a, you know, a lovely day, a great day, really. You know, I must so, admit. So your son Wade got his head into the fray there too, did he, at the presentation? Yes, yes, he, he was there and, and got in there, and he, he, he spoke, and you know, she was 
you know, she was very nice to Queen. She spoke to had a nice little bit of a talk to us all. So, you know, it was was great because I mean that was probably at that particular stage my biggest winner, especially you know winning with the Queen there. I would say that was probably the mm. biggest at that stage, and um, so it was very nice to be able to win that race and and meet them. And um, I can look back on that now, and um, not everyone's met the Queen, mm. Prince Philip. You know, so it was great. Some of Australia's best race mares, many of them in fold at Champion Stallions, will be offered at this year's English Chairman's Sale, which will be conducted with online and telephone bidding on Friday, May the 8th. 55 fillies and mares form the main catalogue, headlined by multiple Group 1 winner in her time, Group 1 Oakley Plate winner Booker, who will be sold unreserved, Group 1 winner and four-time Group 1 place getter Unforgotten, clean up the dam of Doncaster winner Natoya, Infold the Autumn Sun, Group 1 winner Young Star, a daughter of internationally respected stallion High Chaparral. Among the latest wildcard entries is the outstanding race filly Fundamentalist, a daughter of Not a Single Doubt and Infold to Zoo Star. This filly was Group 1 placed five times. The Chairman's Sale will begin at 3pm on Friday, May 8, online at inglis.com.au with a live broadcast hosted by Caroline Searcy. For those looking for the right mare to create a commercial family that will breed on for generations, this is the sale for you. The English Chairman's Sale, Friday, May 8, online. Let me quickly summarise your training record in Malaysia and Singapore. In Malaysia, you won the Penang Gold Cup three times. You won the Piala Emas Sultan Selangor Group 1 three times. You've won 719 races in Singapore. You've won the Gold Cup. You've won the QE2 Cup three times. You've won the Jumbo Jet three times. You've won the Ozhorse two-year-old three times. And you've won a Chairman's Trophy, a Group 2. There are several familiar names among the jockeys you've used since becoming a trainer up there, Steve. Um, tell me some of them. Oh, look, you know, Glenn Boss, he was up here. Um, you know, and these, quite a, there's two or three of them were Melbourne Cup jockeys, you know, they've won Melbourne Cup. So we, we do have very good jockeys riding up here. You know, Glenn was up here. Corey Brown was up here. Um, Michael Rod, he's still here and he, he rides, all, you know, a lot of my horses, although he's number one rider for Cliffy Brown, but mm. uh, Vlad Jurek, he rides winners for me, and John Powell. Mm. So, you know, we, we have got a great variety of riders to sort of pick to put on our horses, but no, we're, we're, we're very lucky to have such good riders riding up here for sure. And what about my old mate Danny Beasley? Did he ride for you? I think he did. Yes, Danny won the um, Oswald's Group 2 two-year-old race uh, on Lim's Racer. I think just before he retired. So, mm. yeah, Danny, Danny was a very good rider, um, very underrated rider, I feel. Um, and we were all shocked when he decided to sort of give it away, you know, because um, he was riding probably at his peak at that time here mm. and got a bit of a surprise when he decided to give it away. And we're still great mates. He's still riding. He's riding for um, Danny Maher at present track work. He's, he's an assistant trainer to him and we mm. see each other every day. Along yep. with another guy that um, probably you're going to mention in a minute, uh, Mick Dittman. Mm. He's um, he's uh, Mick's the manager for Mr. Lim, and Dan Ma trains for him and myself and Stephen Gray. And um, Mick Dittman's been great to us. You know, he, he's been a great supporter of the stable for about the last ten years or eight eight to ten years. And 
I've had a great bit of success with uh, Mr. Lim's horses and, mm. and Mick sort of managing them. Um, he's a great guy to sort of be able to sort of tra- train for and, and Mick's being a manager, he doesn't interfere, but he just gives you um, the right you know, few clues on what maybe we should be doing or we shouldn't be doing or where we should be placing the horses. But he's mm. been very good, Mick. I've been uh, very uh, appreciative of, of all that he's done for us. Well, Danny Beasley has already been a guest on this podcast, but Mick Dittman hasn't. And the next time you see Mick, would you tell him I'll be chasing him shortly? Well, I think he's in lockdown in Queensland, actually, to tell you the truth, John, because he was here the last day that we we raced. Ah. And I think he heard that we were going to get locked down, so he caught a plane, and I think he had to do um, two weeks at home not being able to get out of the house. Um, Mm. He got back there in time that, um, you know, you had to for the lockdown, and um, he was stuck in the house for two weeks over there. So I haven't seen him for about three or four weeks, but, um, no, um, when I speak to him, I'll, I'll tell him that, and I'm sure you'll get a, a great story out of Mick if, he, oh, if yeah. he decides to let go and tell you the truth. I'll chase him up. Steve, uh, we're almost out of time. Tell me quickly about that little trip you made to Dubai in 2011. You whipped over there with a small team of horses for a major meeting, and didn't you have a great little trot? Yeah, I was very lucky. Um, another ex-jockey, uh, Michael Lockett, he used to ride in Melbourne. He was working for John Sadler in Dubai uh, before John came back here. And what happened was uh, Mick came back and we, when I started working for John Sadler, he was working for him here. And um, when John decided to move back on, uh, back to Australia, Mick started working for me after another year. and. Um, Mick suggested to me about taking some of the horses over there. and mm. He had an owner that um, he was very thick with, uh, Dr. Tarn. Mm. Uh, he's a liver specialist, and um, he had quite a few horses with us. And So we decided to take a team of four horses over there, and we ended up, um, one broke down, but um, three of them won, and not, one of them won twice, actually, Dark Matter, but one with another very good horse called uh, Captain Obvious, mm. who... who was a very good horse, and we, we took him to Japan actually to race. But um, and uh, yeah, no, had a, I thought, oh, this is this is great. And I went back the following year and didn't get warm. But no, we had a great run the first the first year. You know, to win four races there it was a great experience. And it's a bit like the lockdowns here, though, um, mm. John. You know, there's hardly a crowd there until you um, go out to the the main grandstand, and then there's a lot of people. But up the back mm. where you put the saddle on. There's no one there, you know. Mm. It's just like a, yeah, it's very, very quiet, you know. But um, no, it was very good, me too, boy. See, this is the glory it. of being based in Singapore. You're halfway to everywhere. Yes, you know. Like, if, uh, look, I'll, I'll be the first one to admit the horses here are not, aren't the top quality horses. You know, we pay a hundred thousand for horses and things like that. But and probably uh, Hong Kong pay a million dollars for them, you know. So. We we haven't got second rate horses, but our horses definitely aren't as good as they are in probably Australia and, and Hong Kong. So um, you know, but you can sort of take them anywhere if you can place them. You can take them anywhere and win. And I mean, if we do happen to get a very good horse, we, we as you say, we're a halfway house to everywhere. So mm. it's um, it's a, it's a very good place to be if you can get the right horse here. You've got one special little helper up there by the name of Charlie. He lives in Singapore with his mother. 
His dad, Wade, is working in Melbourne with his bloodstock agency and doing well. Now, you look after Charlie a couple of days a week and you love every minute of it. Can you see a horseman there? No, I don't. I don't don't think I can see a horseman. No, uh, yeah, no. He's um, he's my grandson, and uh, I have a, I spend a good bit of time with him. And he's a great little boy. He's, um, he turns three uh, next month, the fourteenth yeah. of next month, and uh, mm. I do spend a big, good bit of time with him. And and uh, but I, I think he'll be too big to be a to be a jockey, and I probably won't recommend him to be a trainer. No. days a week, it it gets a bit monotonous at the finish. But, look, I must admit, John, I'm very lucky. I love what I'm doing. Um, Probably a bit of a workaholic um, in some ways. But, no, I do love what I'm doing. And and, uh, I'm glad I I finished up being a trainer because I never thought I would uh, would ever be one or I never really wanted to be one, you know, because of the hours you work. But, um, no, it's been a great... um, a great asset being here in Singapore and um, being mixed up with everybody that I have mixed up with. You know, they've, they've all been great. A perfect note on which to finish our podcast with Stephen Burridge. Steve, in conclusion, will we ever see you in Australia again? Uh, I think you might see me when I retire, which, you know, probably won't be that far off, you know, in the next two or three years if we um, get back to racing properly here again I'd like to do another two or three years here but yes I'll look I'll I'll definitely come back home uh where I go I'm not quite sure probably to Queensland I would think Mm. um I'm that used to the warm weather and I always hated the the cold weather so I may head up north somewhere but maybe have one or two and work myself but we'll see what happens I'd like to stick around for another couple of years and and finish um you know my, my training career here on a winning note Steve Burridge, been a delight having you on the podcast, which, of course, was produced by Supernova Sound. Thanks very much for your time, Steve. Great to chat. Much appreciated, John, and uh, at some stage I hope we can catch up and meet each other and um, other than just on the telephone. We Thank certainly you. will, and when we do, you may buy me a Chardonnay. That's for sure. <laughs> This podcast is brought to you by Racing New South Wales, Sky Racing and Inglis.